series we're in is called Let's Go Change the World. We're going through the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 5 today. We'll get to Christmas sermons starting next week. The sermon today is called Give Me a Sign. Give me a sign. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Have you ever needed a miracle? Have you ever wanted God to do something or needed God to do something impossible? Today we are going to read about how the apostles were filling Jerusalem with signs, wonders, miracles, healings. And we're going to ask, does, does God still do miracles today? Luke was an evangelist. He wrote the book of Acts to prove Jesus is the risen Lord, King of heaven and earth. And what you are going to hear today from the early church is going to strengthen your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for what you have done throughout the pages of history. You have not left us to ourselves. You have not abandoned us. You didn't wind up the world and then just let it go. You are actively involved every day in the lives of people you created, people you love, people who you made for your glory. So we pray that you would show us today, as you were pouring out your power in unprecedented ways on the streets of Jerusalem. Show us who you are. Jesus, show us that you are the risen Lord as your power of heaven falls on earth. And teach us how this applies to our lives today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, are you there in Acts chapter 5, verse 12? Make sure that you don't miss a sermon. Last week's message was called Drop Dead. All right, so get on the app or online, and you're going to want to know what that one was all about. Today it's called Give Me a Sign, and here we are in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now that right there deserves to be read again. What was the early church like? Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. We've shown you pictures of the temple before, but the Temple Mount had an area where there were a bunch of pillars and larger groups could meet there. So that's where the early church would meet in large groups. They would meet kind of an offside of the temple. The, the apostles were just doing unbelievable, unthinkable, incredible, impossible things regularly there. The churches would also meet house to house in smaller groups. This is how the church was born. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. So it seems like there were uh, the rest, the people who kind of saw this happening, but they weren't ready to go over there and, and wade in. They weren't ready to join Big Risk because there was already, you know, the apostles, some of them were called in for questioning. They were threatened. So if you join those people, you could be in big trouble, right? So none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So they were like, whoa, can you believe what's going on over there? Are you going over there? No. So there's this sorting through the crowd. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers, now there's a group, those who actually did believe and were gathering, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. So were, there were those people who were walking across, you know, into the group of believers and they were becoming Christians. That was happening by the thousands were added to the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, 
At least his shadow might fall on some of them. Sounds like what's happening here is there's so many believers, they're getting to work. They're going to find people who are in need, and they're bringing them out. And as Peter walks down the streets, there's people who are just in need, and, and, and they have you know, a disease and an infirmity, and they're getting healed. They just want Peter's shadow, it's a shadow to hit them. The power of God was being poured out like never before. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, all those who were afflicted with unclean spirits, they were all healed. This, of course, parallels and resembles the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas he went out town to town, people came to him, they all got healed by him directly on the spot of whatever it is they were struggling with, suffering with. It's incredible. Now remember, this is in the Bible. You've got to know the author's intent to know what it means. This is in the Bible because Luke wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord, King of heaven and earth. That's why it's in the Bible. Now we're going to talk about all of the other parts of it, but don't miss that main idea. The first thing you can write down is a question. How and why did miracles happen in the Bible? This is an incredible passage. It's unbelievable what's going on. How and why did miracles happen in the Bible? We had covered this for the first time several chapters ago. Um, the, there, was, there was a man who, you know, the lame beggar was healed. And so we talked about, you know, do you believe in miracles several weeks ago? We covered some of the aspects of that here. Um, but are miracles possible? If there is a God, miracles are possible. Okay, it's as simple as that. If there is a God, miracles are possible. If he made everything and establish the natural order, he can at will bend and amend the natural order to do a miracle. That's how they happen. It's when God suspends or overrules the natural order, that's when a miracle happens. Now, in a sense, uh, miracles happen every day, right? If you ask people, have you ever witnessed a miracle? Sometimes they would say, oh yeah, the birth of my child. It was awesome. It was a miracle. And they're right. You know, oh, we were in the Grand Canyon and it was miraculous. Where did it come from? Now you're right. You're right to look around and to see that there's something supernatural about your everyday life. And there's something supernatural about the special times in your life. Those things are wonderful, right? They're, they're divine. The Bible says that creation declares the glory of God. So you don't just go out and say, oh, a flock of geese. Huh. Uh, you say, how did they learn to fly together? You know, you don't just go out and, and see the natural order. There's something bigger going on. So yes, there are wonderful things happening all around you. It's a wonder that any of us is here. Life is a miracle. Um, but when it comes to the biblical idea of a miracle or a sign, or a wonder, we have to be clear on what we're talking about. How many of you would say something has happened in your life that was impossible? Like it happened, and there's really not a good natural explanation for it. Now, you're right to say, that was an act of God, all right? Like, like if I tell you what happened, it's unbelievable. Now, sometimes if you share that story, you've got something to back it up. Like, look, I can show you the scan the doctors took before and the scan they took after, and my cardiologist looked at me and said, this is a miracle. Sometimes you have that affirmation. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're like, look, I can't prove it to you, but God moved. I know it. The person involved know it. This is where someone's like, I got into a, somebody told me this this week, I got into a car accident when I was much younger. 
I put my seatbelt on, I never wear my seatbelt. Something told me to put my seatbelt on that day. The way the car accident happened, I shouldn't have been walking or alive. Those kinds of things you can't prove, but you know God did something, right? A miraculous provision. Somehow he weaved the circumstances of your life together to put you in the right place at the right time. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you have kind of those acts of God, right? The God moved, the God stories. Now, those are absolutely as wonderful as you would tell other people. Um, Those wouldn't be, in the biblical sense of the word, a sign or a wonder or a miracle, okay? They're awesome. They show God's glory. But there's one next level up where God does something so incredible, so instantaneous, so verifiable to everybody. This is where Moses throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. You don't have that story, okay? And if you do, I hope you got rid of the the staff because that's scary. These wonders of like walking on water, these wonders of like you touch a blind person and they're no longer blind. These are the things that are happening among the apostles every day. So it's next level God pouring out his spirit in incredible, obvious, everyone's seeing it, no one can explain it, every day, at will, you, now you, now you, now you, now you. Okay, you don't have that story. None of us has that story. So how and why did miracles happen in the Bible? We have to realize that they happened like nothing you've ever experienced at times. Okay, incredible. Jot this down. Miracles are supernatural events that manifest divine intervention. Miracles are supernatural events that manifest divine intervention. Examples in the New Testament would be Jesus walking on water, Jesus raising the dead, the miraculous catch of fish multiple times, Jesus with a word calming a whole storm, Jesus turning water into wine, changing the very physics of a substance, In Acts, there were healings on the spot by the direct intervention of the apostles. People learned new languages they had never studied. That's the gift of tongues. There were angelic appearances to people. The apostles, several times, were freed from jail. People were freed from jail. Uh, There were earthquakes that happened to free people from jail. The apostles raised the dead. They drove out demons. There were even signs that were punishments where someone could be, um, if, if they were causing trouble for the church, uh, or earlier in, you know, Luke records when uh, Zechariah was struck mute, couldn't talk for nine months. That's a sign. That's a miraculous sign. You can no longer talk for nine months. John the Baptist dead. Or Paul struck somebody blind. Boom! Right? Struck blind. And then last week, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Those are signs. They were miraculous. They're wonders. Those are the kinds of things that fit into this category of a supernatural event that manifests divine intervention like never before. Now, why were they in the Bible? That's what they are. Now, why are they in the Bible? Jot this down. Signs, wonders, and healings prove Jesus is the risen Lord. Jesus is the risen Lord. You have to know why these things were happening to understand what what this incredible, unbelievable, unprecedented time was like. They weren't happening to increase Peter's fan base. Peter's suddenly Bono. He's suddenly walking down the streets and people are like, there he is, his shadow. Oh, he's incredible. Okay, and God wasn't like, I really want to boost Peter's ego. 
you know, he had some embarrassing moments in the Bible, so I'm going to throw him a bone and give him a lot of followers. It's not why it happened. These miracles, these signs, these wonders happen to prove Jesus is the risen Lord. Mark 16, 20, here's what it says. We'll put that up on the screen. It says, and they went out, the, uh, the disciples, and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Do you see how that's tied together? The Lord worked with them and confirmed the message. How? By the signs. The signs were given to confirm the message. That's why they were happening. In Acts 3, 12 to 16, just a few chapters earlier, here's what uh, Peter and John said. We'll put that up on the screen too. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made this man walk. So the lame guy got up and walked. He's like, it's not our power. It's not our godliness. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What's the idea here? The miracles, the signs, the wonders were happening by the power of the risen Lord to confirm the message and the messengers who were spreading it all around. That's why these incredible things were happening. Sometimes you might say, well, why won't God give me a sign? Sometimes you might say, how come God didn't come through for me with a miracle? Sometimes you might think, this could be so easy for God to fix if he would just do something right now. Why doesn't he do that? Sometimes you might read your Bible and say, how come it doesn't seem like my life has that going on? Well, you have to go back and realize why these things were happening. These things were happening to affirm that Jesus Christ had indeed risen from the Lord, that he, what, he is now the Lord of heaven and of earth, and his power from heaven was pouring out on earth. That's why these things were happening. You might think, well, it would be nice if I got a sign. It would be nice if God talked to me directly. It would be nice if I got a miracle once in a while. Do you know there were people who got that? They got that on earth. They got the feeding of the 5,000. Lepers were healed. And guess what? They're in hell right now because they didn't come back and see the point that Jesus is the, the power of heaven, the Lord of all. They got their food for the day. They got a story to share with everyone, and they didn't get salvation. It would be a mistake for you to assume that you're missing out on something because you don't have these, these supernatural things happening on a daily basis. No, no you're, you're missing. You're missing why those things were happening in the first place. And a lot of people did miss it. Do you know Jesus said for people who are doubting, you might be like, well, I don't even believe any of this stuff. Maybe if God would talk to me, I would. You might think that the thing you're missing before you put your full faith and trust in Jesus is a miracle. You'd be wrong. Jesus said the nature of doubt, the nature of defiance is so strong that if you even saw somebody rise from the dead, you still might not believe. Because if it's a defiant grip on your life, your way, your sin, nothing's going to break that. It's not the lack of proof that's the problem. It's the condition of your heart. 
Why did signs, wonders, and healings happen? They proved Jesus is the risen Lord. Do you need those? No. There was Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas, poking the wounds of Jesus. Poke, 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 poke. And what did Jesus say to him? You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who don't see and believe. Poke, poke. There's a lot of people who've been in the church a long time and they're still poking the wounds of Jesus. Is he? I don't know. Let me look again. I don't know. Let me see that hand. Hmm. Turn around. I don't, hmm. Still not there. You don't lack evidence. You don't lack evidence. So know the purpose of signs, wonders, healings. Know their limitations. Miracles are supernatural events that manifest divine intervention. Signs, healings prove Jesus is the risen Lord. Jot this down. The church became the location of God's presence and power. The church became the location of God's presence and power. In the text, we see all of this. We see there's the church, the group of people who are manifesting the power and presence of God over there, and then there's the people who aren't there yet, and they're like watching, especially the, the rulers and the leaders, right? They're not there. The power and the presence is among the people, and it's no longer with the priesthood, the Levites. They don't have that power anymore. They don't have that presence anymore. It's now with the church, full of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. All of these miracles are signaling, there's the presence, there's the power, there's the authority, go there. And this is what's creating the power struggle. The rulers were wrong to kill Jesus. The apostles are right to proclaim him. You must access God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a great separation happening, and you can see it by where they're standing. So where are you standing? Do you believe? Knowing of these signs and wonders that have happened in the Bible, have they led you to worship Jesus, that all of heaven's power was falling on earth in Christ? Do you believe? This is how and why miracles happen in the Bible, and they did happen. So the second question we can ask is this. Well, why don't miracles happen like that today? Why don't miracles happen like that today? This is a bit of an apologetic point, like asking, okay, well, why don't I see that in my life? How do we think about that? Why don't miracles happen like that today? Did you hear about Celine Dion? Do we have any Celine Dion fans in the house? Anyone? Celine Dion fans? Sad news. Here's a picture. Sad news this week. She uh, gave heartbreaking, a heartbreaking update on her ongoing health battle amid her show cancellations. She has this really rare disease, I think it's called stiff person disorder, where starting with her, you know, her core, her torso, her body starts to spasm and then it just stiffs up. It stiffens up so that she can't move anymore and affects her vocal cords. And so as time rolls on, she just becomes this person, little by little, year after year, who just can't even move anymore. And if it reaches its full-on course in the end, she, she can't move at all. It's heartbreaking. When you hear about diseases like that, you're like, man, things can go wrong, way wrong. And people can suffer deeply. And then you hear about passages like this where Peter, they're just putting people in the streets and he's healing them all. And you're like, man, why doesn't that happen anymore today? Wouldn't it be a good thing if somebody had that gift? They could just go up and be like, look, I'm going to free you from this today. Why doesn't that happen anymore? Well, I want you to know that miracles do happen. God does still heal. Wonders do occur. Not like you're reading in the pages of Scripture today. Not like you're seeing in the streets of Jerusalem. There are stories of people getting healed today. That absolutely happens. There are stories, especially on the frontiers of the mission field, around unreached people groups, 
of signs and wonders happen. Impossible, incredible, unbelievable stories. If you pick up some of our missionary books in the bookstore and you read them, you will read unbelievable things that have been authenticated by several witnesses. God is still the wonder-working God. He still does incredible things. We should pray for miracles. We should pray for healing. We should pray for God to move for the display of his glory. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't happen like you're reading about. Okay, there's not a city right now where the whole city and the surrounding regions can drag everyone who's sick with anything into the streets and someone's going down the road and everyone gets healed on the spot. That's not happening. That's not the way God's working today. Some masquerade as healers and take on this persona of the apostles. And I need to give a warning here because you could be greatly deceived by people who try to make you think that the way that you're reading about the book of Acts should be the way that it's happening today. Uh, so jot this down. Don't be deceived by false teachers who want your money. Don't be deceived by false teachers who want your money. There are false teachers who masquerade as having an otherworldly power that can transform your lives. They're false teachers because their doctrine is faulty. They're false teachers because their lives are suspect. And therefore, you have to watch out and you have to not let them uh, get a hold of your heart. The foremost faith healer on TV is Benny Hinn, claims to have preached the gospel to a billion people all around the world, has these rallies, uh, and claims that if you come, if you have enough faith, God wants you to get healed of anything right there on the spot. As long as you come, you have enough faith. Your offering, of course, has to be pretty sweet too. Get ready, because God's going God's to work. All around the world, he travels, and he has these rallies, and he convinces people that there's power in the room to heal them, and they are greatly misled. Check it out. Here's one of his more uh, viral videos. <laughs> That's, that's just wicked nonsense. I hope you know that. I hope you never stop on channels like that. I hope you understand that's wicked nonsense. Uh, that is not at all of the Lord. That's not at all the way things work. Don't be deceived by false teachers who want your money. His teaching contradicts the Bible. I wrote a book, you know, you could go through it and see the false teachings, but the teaching is that God wants to heal everything right now. That's false. Uh, that it's really up to your faith whether it happens or not. No, that's false. The way the healing happens is not like in the New Testament where they come up on stage and he puts hands on them and they're healed. It happens kind of out there, kind of backstage, and then people come. That's not the way it happened. Uh, it's very limited what they're capable of healing, and it's all driven by money, huge money, an empire of money. So I need to warn you not to be deceived. To camp on this a little bit more, um, you know, there has uh, many searches have been done on whether or not even one miracle can be proved through Benny Hinn's ministry, and they have not confirmed one miracle. Okay, they've not confirmed one miracle. His teaching contradicts the Bible. You never see the blind or the deaf get healed on the spot, on stage. You never see the dead rise. Nothing's immediately verifiable. Just a lot of hype, a lot of money, a lot of confusion. Kosti Hinn is the nephew of Benny Hinn, and he has recently gotten saved out of that movement. The movement is called the Prosperity Gospel. Let me read to you his story because I really want to nail this down in your heart. Here's a picture of him. Growing up in the Hinn family, empire was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Our lifestyle was lavish, our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. We lived in the Prosperity Gospel. 
My father pastored a small church in Vancouver, British Columbia, but the prosperity theology paid amazingly well, so we grew up in a 10,000-square-foot mansion. Guarded by a private gate, drove two Mercedes-Benz vehicles, vacationed in exotic destinations, shopped in the most expensive stores. On top of that, we bought a $2 million ocean view home in California where another Mercedes joined the fleet. We were abundantly blessed. One day I asked my father if we could go heal my friend from school who had lost her hair due to cancer. He replied, we should pray for her at home rather than going to heal her. I thought to myself, shouldn't we be doing what the apostles did if we have the same gift? Before going to college, I took a year off and became a catcher on Uncle Benny's ministry. Whirlwind tour of luxury, $25,000 a night royal suites in Dubai. Seaside resorts in Greece, towns in the Swiss Alps, villas on Lake Como in Italy, basking in the Golden Coast of Australia, shopping sprees in London, numerous trips to Israel, Hawaii, everywhere in between. Pay was great. We flew on our own private jets, custom suites. All I had to do was catch people and look spiritual. While he married a woman who didn't agree with his theology, she challenged him. Then he got a job at a church, and the pastor lovingly started showing him in the Bible the true teaching on healing and miracles, and he broke. He realized he had been a false teacher and been part of a false ministry. He said, I wept bitterly over my participation in the greedy ministry manipulation and my life of false teaching and beliefs, and I thank God for his mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. My eyes were completely opened. He writes books on this. He reflected and said this. There's the idea in all of us that somewhere dwells deep in our heart that wants to believe that God doesn't want us to suffer and is never going to allow his children to go through a hard time and that if we do good things, God will only give us good and if we suffer, we must have done something wrong. He said, and that's just not what the Bible teaches. So praise God. He's saving people out of this. I just hope that you never fall prey to that. It's predatory. It's false. Avoid these imposters completely. Jot this down. Don't be drawn in by anyone who claims to have a greater power than you do. Don't be drawn in by anyone who claims to have a greater power than you. Sometimes it's more subtle and they don't say, you know, send me money and I'll send you a healing amulet. Sometimes they just talk like they have a walkie-talkie to God. Oh, I'm hearing God. He's saying this. He's saying this. He's saying this. Sometimes they claim to have an anointing they can mediate between you and God better, or they have some blessing to give you. They're giving you something you can't get directly from God. Hey, listen, I need you to know that these people are empty-handed. They have nothing for you that can't be found in Jesus Christ. Never get drawn in by some gravity, some vortex of a person. You're being deceived. They're lying to you about how you enter into and enjoy God's presence and power. You don't need them. You don't need them at all. And they don't have anything you can't already have in Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus, by faith, and that's it. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else. So don't be deceived. If you're feeling it all, like if only I could reach that person, if only I could understand their method, if only I could imitate them, if only, and there's this pull toward a person who's leveled up and is trying to get you up there too, listen, friends, you're being deceived. You're being deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be drawn in by anyone who claims to have a greater power than you. And let me shepherd you in particular if you're kind of in a season of life where you're sick or suffering or someone you love is, you're more vulnerable to false teaching. You need to know that. You're vo more vulnerable to false teaching. If you're sick or suffering or you're desperate or you're afraid, the Bible doesn't say go find a faith healer. It says in the book of James, go to your elders. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to anoint you with oil. That's where you go. That's where you go. 
You fast, you pray, you don't need to travel the world and find these people who are wonder workers. Don't be drawn in by anyone who claims to have a greater power than you. Jot this down. Don't chase supernaturalism. Don't chase supernaturalism. Everything you need is in Jesus. You don't need to find some vortex in Sedona, Arizona to, to get access into the spiritual realm. Okay, you don't need that place. You don't need to buy some relic or some painting of some old saint to try and have more of the spiritual realm. Don't be deceived. You don't need to find some ancient thing, some song or some prayer or some artifact that somehow makes you feel closer to God. Hey, look, that's mystical and it's nonsense. Don't be chasing supernaturalism. Don't be trying to get whipped up into an ecstatic frenzy. Don't be crushed by a sense of depravity that makes you feel like you can't on your own go into the presence of a holy God. Hey, the good news is this. Jesus will shepherd you perfectly whether you feel great or not whether you sense his presence or not, and whether he answers you or not, don't be deceived. Number one, how and why did miracles happen in the Bible? We covered that. Number two, why don't they happen like that today? Number three, jot this down. How do I know if I'm saved? Here's the key point. There's these people who are in, people who are out. Where are you? It says here, none of the rest dared to join them. Those are the people who are still trying to make up their minds in verse 13. But the people held them in high esteem. They kind of knew something awesome was going on there. But in verse 14, it uses the word believers. Believers were added to the Lord. Hey, let me ask you this. Are you a believer? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you been added to the Lord? Have you been officially numbered and counted as one of his followers? The idea here is that you're a believer that you need to be saved. You need to be saved and added to the Lord. The word used throughout the New Testament is salvation. It means to be saved, to be pulled out of the wreckage and ruin of this world. Are you saved? Did you hear the story a couple weeks ago of the trucker who got into a huge accident like like early in Indiana, close by? Here's Here's a video report of what happened. Check it out. The pictures tell this story. Yikes. The truck hit the Calumet River Bridge just after two and caught fire. It went over the wall and somehow dropped in between the east and west lanes hanging cab first above the river. Again, it's not clear what caused the truck, which was empty, lose control. Hammond Fire and crews thought the driver could be trapped in the cab, but after about 20 minutes or so, search and rescue crews found him, a 32-year-old man from Lansing, clinging to bridge support. Yeah, so that's what he needed to be saved, okay? Clinging to bridge support. Truck goes over, on fire, clinging to bridge support, and here's the thing, that's you and me, okay? We, we need to be saved. Jesus came down to save us. It's the greatest miracle that's going to happen in your life is when you get born again. When, when, when you are saved from the ruin and the wreckage and you don't have to go to hell anymore, uh, that is what this is all about. The miracles, the wonders, the signs are happening so that people can see Jesus is alive. He's ruling from on high and he's the savior of all. It's not just like my pinky's broken. You know, it's like my soul is doomed. That's the point. That's the point. How do I know if I'm saved? Well, jot this down. Believe Jesus is the risen Lord. Believe Jesus is the risen Lord. Do you know the two biggest questions Jesus asked, right? Who do you say I am? And that's the most important question in your entire life. Who do you say he is? And do you love me? So he asked Peter. Who do you say he is? And do you love him? Because he's your savior. Hebrews 2, 3 to 4 connects these wonderful miracles with the need to be saved. Hebrews 2, 3 to 4, here's what it says. 
We'll put it up on the screen. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There's the word. It was declared at first by the Lord, that's Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that's the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. How will we escape? How will you escape if you neglect, deny such a great salvation? And then John eleven forty seven says this, even the enemies of God recognized it. So the chief priests of the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man, Jesus performs many signs. They knew it. They knew what was going on. And they didn't know what to do with him. Realized that they saw the signs and the wonders too and they denied him and killed him. If you don't believe, it's not because you're lacking evidence, it's because your heart is hard. Believe Jesus is the risen Lord. Jot this down and then repent and turn away from all sin. Repent and turn away from all sin. When it comes to our posture toward God, our relationship to God, we have to know that we have to repent and turn from sin. In John 12, 37, we'll put this up on the screen. It says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Do you know that you have everything you need right now to put your faith in Jesus Christ and live forever? There's nothing lacking Look at all that God has done. Look at the unbelievable things that you're hearing about today. There's no reason why you should delay another moment. Repent and turn away from all sin. You can be saved, but you have to turn from sin. And then jot this down. Proclaim Jesus as Savior through baptism. Proclaim Jesus as Savior through baptism. You've got to go public. If you have never publicly professed your faith in Jesus Christ after you became a Christian, that's what you have to do. You have to publicly say, he's my Savior, he's my Lord. In the Bible, that's what it means to be, verse 14, added to the Lord. You've publicly numbered yourself with those who are belonging to him, and I challenge you to do that. So how do I know if I'm saved? Well, believe Jesus is the risen Lord. Repent, turn away from all sin, and proclaim Jesus is Savior through baptism. Then it says, so they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Let's talk about Peter for the last point here. Let's get it a little personal. Jot this down, number four. What does Peter's story teach us? He's now highlighted. Remember we learned about the book of Acts. Luke divides it into two basic parts. The first half is the Acts of Peter. The second half is the Acts of Paul. So we're in the ministry of Peter right now, which is really Jesus working through him. But he takes center stage. Super encouraging to see Peter truly become the top leader of the early church as Jesus prophesied it would happen. Here's what we learned from Peter's story. Jot this down. God uses ordinary people to do unbelievable things. Ordinary people. When you hear about all these incredible, insanely otherworldly things happening and then you realize Peter's doing it, your correct response should be, huh? Huh? Him? How many of you have a story where you got saved and many years later, when people realized you got saved, they were like, you? How many of you have that story? Where people who knew you way back then are like, you're a Christian? You're a, so at my 10th high school reunion, uh, I, I, I'd become a Christian and I'd gotten saved after high school. So at my 10th high school reunion, a girl found out that I was a Christian and she screamed. Okay, she screamed, what? I turned around and she was like this. You're a Christian? I said, yeah. You're a pastor? I said, yeah. <laughs> then it was awesome though. You know what she said? She said, I prayed for you. She had been praying for me. That's so cool. Peter is like a, huh? Him? 
All right. Him? God uses ordinary people to do unbelievable things. Fishermen? Not a Bible scholar. Went to the John the Baptist men's retreat, remember? Jesus said, you're Simon, you're going to be called Peter, which means, which means rock. Peter's like, you know me? How did Peter's faith develop? He was in a boat with Jesus. Jesus taught. Then Jesus is like, let's put the boat out into deeper waters. Miraculous catch of fish. Now the boat's sinking. And Peter looked up and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, Leave your nets and follow me. Now you're ready. Then they started going around. Right? Then what happened? Now they're in this ship, the boat, and the storm comes, and it's sinking, and Jesus is asleep. Remember that? The storm? And they're crying out, We're going to die! Future apostles. Wake him up! Jesus goes, Where's your faith? Calms the storm. (gasps) Then what happens? Then he sends them out on the boat later. Jesus isn't even in the boat with them. Then Jesus is walking on the water. And then they freak out again. It's a ghost! These are your rock stars. Their names are going to be written on the foundations of heaven, okay? It is I. Don't be afraid. Then Peter, you know, he doesn't think before he talks. If it's you, call me out there. All right, come out there. Peter didn't think this through because if it really was a ghost... You don't want to go out on the water. Okay, see what I'm saying? Peter steps out. Now, Peter, do you see how this works? He's in the boat. The boat's sinking. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Now, Jesus isn't even in the boat. Now, Peter's not even in the boat. You see how his faith is growing? And this is the way your faith is going to grow. Then he loses his, now he's sinking. Now, Jesus is holding him back up on the water. Then in the end, he denies Jesus three times. And then after Jesus rose from the grave, now Jesus is all the way back on shore and Peter's out on the boat. And when he sees Jesus, he's got to jump out of the boat and swim back to Jesus. All of this shows a man's faith who's being forged in the fire. All of those things you're going to go through. But Peter's story teaches us that God uses ordinary people who go through all of the ordinary trials of faith to do unbelievable things. Maybe you're a beginner in the faith right now. And you feel like, I don't know anything. I don't really know where things are in the Bible. I don't really know how to pray right. I don't, yeah, that's where everybody starts. Everybody just gets one tree ring of faith every year. You know, Tom Brady, he's one of the the greatest of all time. Got a picture of Tom Brady, right? Oh, he's got so many Super Bowls. Do you know his rookie year, he threw three passes? And he went one for three. One for three. He completed and achieved a total of six yards of offense. Hashtag greatness. Everybody starts. Everybody starts at the beginning. You start at the beginning. And I would just say, don't feel insecure if you're newer in the faith, okay? Don't feel insecure. Never look around and be wowed by anybody except Jesus. There's no heroes in the Bible but one. Okay, so if you're newer in the faith, don't get insecure. And the Bible warns you, don't get proud. Okay, if you're in the first five years of your faith, you've got five rings or less, and you think you're the answer, uh, watch out. You're going down. Okay, you know exactly what's wrong with everyone. That you're... you're newly planted, the Bible says. It should greatly humble you when you do look around and see how God has grown people around you. If you think you're the answer, you're going to have a big wake-up call coming to you soon. But if you think you're the problem, I can't do anything right. I just shouldn't even be. No, no, you're wrong. We're all, we're all beginners at one point. So God uses ordinary people to do unbelievable things. Jot this down. We will be tested in many ways. 
We will be tested in many ways. Maybe you're in a season of testing right now. Satan humiliated Peter. He denied Jesus three times. I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. Satan humiliated Peter. He made a fool of himself regularly. John MacArthur called Peter the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Bragged all the time. I would never forsake you. Swung his sword and cut off a guy's ear. Jesus had to heal it. Sank in the water after he walked on it. Jesus had to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Yikes. Paul had to confront Peter to his face because he was being a hypocrite. At times you're going to feel like you're being tested, you're being tried. Maybe you even fail, you fall, you mess up. Yeah, welcome to Peter's life. Thankfully, Jesus isn't done with you yet. So don't give up because look at where Peter got. We'll be tested in many ways. And then jot this down. Jesus will make us mature and victorious. Jesus will make us mature and victorious. Wow. If God can turn Peter into that, that, that humble, powerful, don't look at me. It's, why are you looking at me? It's not my power. Guy who's got the power of heaven surging through him. What can he transform me into? It should give you hope that he can turn you into a living, breathing, glowing representation of his glory on earth. Wow. Well, what a passage. We now know how and why miracles happen in the Bible, why they don't happen like that today, and yet we know that God still does. How do we know if we're saved? We know that, and we know Peter's story should really encourage you. Based on all this, I hope you're feeling like, man, Lord, use me. Use me. I, I want to I be used by you, just like you're using these early church people. I want to be on your mission. I want to be your spokesman. I want to go and make disciples. I hope that's your heart. I want to be a part of a church that is reaching out with the love and power of Christ to people who desperately need it. And I think we need to pray that God would transform us into that church as each of us steps out and becomes his representative on earth. So let's go to the Lord in prayer in response to what we've heard today and invite him to be glorified in us. Father, we're so grateful for the amazing, unbelievable things we heard today. What power you poured out on the streets of Jerusalem incredible things were happening every day and your church was on fire lord help us to know that that means jesus you are the risen lord and your power is at work in us if you can turn peter into a solid humble foundation of the early church you can transform us if you can save these people forever, you can save us. Lord, help us not to get off track and to miss the point. The goal is not to walk around and chase after supernatural things. The goal is not for you to take all of our pain and disease and sickness away all the time. That's not your will. You've got greater things than that for us. You'll be glorified in and through everything we go through. But we believe, Lord. We believe the wonderful things we've heard. I wonder if there are any in here the room today or online who have not yet, as the Bible says, been numbered among the believers. Maybe today's the day in their own heart they can say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. Save me. You are the risen king. You're alive. You're ruling in power. Save me. Lord, I wonder if there are some who are in a season of testing or sickness, weakness or pressure. They have a great need and they need a great God to come through for them. Lord, I pray that they would see that with God, all things are possible. May they pray boldly. This whole passage happened because of the prayer of your people. 
asking that you would stretch out your hand and perform all sorts of signs and wonders, and you did. So as your people pray, do the impossible. According to our faith, will it be done to us? Help us, O Lord, to believe that you can and you will come through in almighty ways. Lord, make our church a glowing, bright representation of your glory as you work wonders. Demonstrate your presence and your power. Fill us with your spirit as we go proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen.